Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation and is dedicated to transforming the healthcare experience so that every person can receive and deliver the best care. We invite you to learn more by visiting healthcareexperience.org. Hello and welcome back to Healthcare Experience Matters. Our guest today is Dr. George Maisel. Dr. Maisel is a board-certified internist and geriatrician. He is a physician coach and speaker with the Healthcare Experience Foundation, and he has co-authored several books, including Leveraging Lean in Healthcare and Physician Alignment. Dr. Maisel, welcome, and please just tell us a little bit about your professional background before we start. Thank you, Casey. As you said, my name is Dr. George Maisel. I'm an internist and geriatrician. I was in practice for about a dozen years and left practice to work for a number of different organizations, including a large payer, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Florida for many years, and then as chief medical officer of a number of hospitals and hospital organizations, and I've actually run a number of clinically integrated networks as well. More recently, I've been focused on physician and healthcare worker burnout, as well as really focusing on physician leadership and patient experience. We know burnout has dominated the conversation in healthcare in recent years. That's no secret. In your opinion, why is this the case? Well, this has been certainly an interesting couple of years. Burnout was a hot topic of conversation back for several years as we saw healthcare changing, not necessarily in good ways. These were adding certainly stress and anxiety and ultimately burnout to not just physicians, but everybody involved in healthcare. Then along came the pandemic, certainly accelerated this curve, although I think most people sort of look at things as there was a little bit of a stay as people focused on taking care of sick patients with COVID-19. And now that we're hopefully getting to the other side of this, I think we're going to see that curve of burnout not only continue, but perhaps accelerate. The pandemic was certainly added to a lot of the already present risk factors in burnout. And how would you define resiliency? Resiliency is a lot of things to a lot of different people. But when we really look at it in healthcare, we really look at it as the ability to survive and prosper in, in what's a very difficult environment. If you look at the actual Webster's definition, it's, a, it's being able to, to maintain your original shape when you're pulled out of sorts. So it's really about being able to survive and thrive despite the curveballs that are handed to you in healthcare. Now I want to ask you about workforce wellness. In your words, how would you define workforce wellness and how does it relate to the overall discussion on resiliency and burnout? Yeah, no, first we have to sort of take a step back and really talk about burnout just a little bit. It's greater than 40, and I've seen even as high as 50% of physicians experience at least some components of burnout. I mean, this has huge impact on the health and well-being of physicians, but also on the patients they take care of. It affects patient safety. It affects error rates. It affects hospital cultures. It affects turnover. And it affects ultimately potentially exacerbating what we're expecting to be a physician shortage in coming years. So as we look at the, all the negative aspects of burnout, how do we combat that? How do we make it less bad or mitigate it? And I think wellness is a term that's been kicked around. I don't particularly love the term wellness because it means so many different things and it's kind of become a catchphrase. But what I really like to see 
is the term engagement. What we want to do is see physicians and healthcare workers re-engage into healthcare. We want to bring back some of the joy on why they went into healthcare in the first place. We want to take those things away or at least lower the burden of some of the things that are leading to burnout. And we want to make physicians happy that they went into medicine. And that translates into better patient care and better patient experience. Absolutely. And I want to ask about some of the fundamental attributes for building individual resiliency. Can you first tell us about how individuals can build resiliency? And then I want to ask you a little bit about teamwork. Yeah, let's talk about resiliency because I think there's been a lot of focus on individual resiliency and understand that it really is important and there are a lot of things you can do. But I think when we look at resiliency, so much of of the issue of burnout and the stressors are environmental in the hospital and and outpatient and other health delivery environment that we think only maybe 20% of resiliency can really be mitigated at the personal level. Again, not that it's not important. And the things that you have to do personally are the things that all of us should be doing anyway. And these are more in the line of do what I say, not as I do, but, you know, trying to get enough sleep, making sure you exercise, making sure you're eating well. But in the, in the purview of healthcare, it's also about maintaining a sensible work-life balance. It's about trying to find things in healthcare to doing what you like to do. There's been a lot of studies that show if you happen to like a certain type of patient care, if they, if you can do that type of patient care, you're liable to be less susceptible to burnout and more more likely to be engaged. Also, there's an idea of protected time, um, making sure you have some time that you're not inundated by calls and beepers and pages and cell phones. So all the things that we think are, are, are about personal resiliency, and some people are just naturally more resilient than others. But I think one of the real misnomers is if you got through medical school, if you got through residency and you got into practice, you're by definition have to have some resiliency. You don't get through those programs without it. The idea that it's a personal failing of resiliency that causes burnout in physicians and nurses and other healthcare executives is really a little bit misleading. And so when we talk about resiliency and burnout, we really want to focus on the environment and the corporate culture and the things that lead to burnout that really need to be handled either at the corporate level or ultimately at the societal level. And if we try to solve burnout at the personal basis, as I say, long walks and granola, we're not going to get there. Now, I want to know more about how resiliency impacts teamwork or vice versa. So what is essential for our listeners to know about building team resiliency? Well, and I would lump together a little bit team resiliency and sort of the corporate environment and the culture in the in the corporate environment, although they're a little bit different. But some of the things go into that altogether. And you have to build the right corporate culture. The culture has to be supportive of the individual and the team. It has to recognize their importance. It has to give them enough time. The compensation models have to be aligned So the goals of the organization and the team and the individual should all be hopefully aligned, the value system. And and one of the things when we talk about burnout, you know, we use the term burnout, but it's a terrible word. We really want to use moral injury or a disconnect. It's really a value disconnect. The things that cause burnout with physicians are not taking care of patients. The things that cause burnout are all the things that get in the way of taking care of patients. That includes things in the environment of EMR, 
of, I call it the one more click mentality of hospitals where they add one more click to the EMR that the physician now has to do that somebody else did before. It's the workflow issues of, of increasing time demands on the physician that do not contribute to patient care. It's the getting prior authorization for certain things. It's the attending committees that are not functional and valuable. It's all those things that disempower the physician and get in the way of taking care of patients. So on the converse side of that, it's really about mitigating those things, creating the right culture, creating the right team environment that helps support each other in a collaborative way with a very, and again, everybody agrees on good patient care. So that's a good place to start. And then looking at an efficient and collaborative model there where everybody respects each other and there's a focus on getting things done in an efficient, effective manner, limiting the stuff that gets in the way of patient care. That's really what you want to try to achieve for. And we think that in the world of hospitals and healthcare, 80% of it really has to be handled on that side. And as you could tell by some of my comments, some of the issues are um, from payers and from um, some of the corporate practices and from some of the licensing. So it's hospital, but some of it even goes beyond hospitals uh, into that larger environment of healthcare. So all those things have to be looked at if we want to use physicians and healthcare workers uh, and get them re-engaged in, in giving good patient care while being good economic uh, stewards. And I want to ask a little bit about healthcare settings. So does that impact today's discussion or do these elements kind of apply to all healthcare settings, for example, private practice versus academic versus employed. What are your thoughts on that? I think a lot of these things apply to every setting, but they're always a little bit different because each setting is a little bit different. And, you know, private practice has its own issues as does academic, as does hospital, but there's things are sort of merging together because these days of employed physicians where most docs are now employed, many by hospitals, these days where academics are trying to be more like independent organizations with the dramatic consolidation of healthcare with hospitals buying each other, I think more and more they're becoming more similar than they are different. But the issues of really things that get in the way of patient care are cut across all these organizations. Again, in, in the academic, they may be a little different with some of the different cultures and, and politics but they're going to be in every organization, different issues. And some of the things that are outside of the organizations, such as getting authorizations and and things like that are obviously going to be uniform. Each organization, they all have EMRs. They may be different, but again, the EMRs brought a lot of great value to healthcare, but it's also brought a lot of angst and increasing time demands for most healthcare providers. So there's definitely different challenges in each environments, but I think they're probably more similar than they are different. Got it. Do you think that resiliency helps prevent burnout? I think resiliency helps prevent burnout, definitely. And as we talked about individual resiliency, there are things you can do and there's some innate resiliency. I think the what I sort of described as a corporate resiliency where the corporation or hospital system or delivery system is aware. And that's the first thing they have to do is measure it and see how big an issue it is. And really looking at their own culture and adjusting it to be better patient-focused and provider-focused, and I use provider because it's more general, you know, those are things that create a corporate resiliency as well as an individual resiliency. So yes, it's part of it, but resiliency is only a piece of it. You really want engagement and you really want to get people back into enjoying what they're doing 
rather than just trying to get by. So I think they're all pieces of the puzzle. I don't think one automatically prevents the other, but they're all pieces um, on trying trying to get um, a more functional healthcare system. You mentioned earlier in the discussion a pending physician shortage that might be on the way. And of course, that could really impact all of what we've been discussing today. Is there any more you wanted to tell us about that or your thoughts on that? Well, it's a complicated issue. I mean, certainly the the literature says we could expect 122,000 physician shortages by 2032. Now, where the nuances get interesting is how many of those are going to be primary care? A lot. And what's the distribution? Is that, you know, certainly it affects certain geographies more than other geographies. And so you have all those pieces. Med schools really can't wrap up fast enough. And then you have the other piece of the puzzle, the dramatically expanding medical knowledge, the increasing technology that's out there. And then you add on the advanced practice providers, nurse practitioners, and PAs into the mix. And you really get a very interesting scenario where it's a little bit hard to predict what it's going to look like, but it's going to look different. And then you add to that changing the model, which I'm cautiously optimistic about to focusing on value-based care of which you really need a team-based care approach. And even that changes the FTE requirements of how many physicians and support staff that you need. So I think the literature is out there is talking about a large potential lack of physicians down the road. I think when you've had all those other factors in, um, it creates a lot of unknowns and it's very hard to predict where we're going to be as a healthcare model changes with payment and everything else to what it's going to look like. But I think there's certainly going to be change ahead. Thanks for that added information. That was really interesting. Do you have anything else that you wanted to add about what can be done to overcome burnout? Yeah, I probably had you know, two things. First of all, we use the term burnout, but it's really a bad word. Burnout, you know, indicates a personal failing, a personal fallacy. These are folks that went through medical school and residency or nursing school or whatever. They're resilient people by definition for the most part. So we use burnout because everybody uses it, but it's really a terrible word. And by the way, burnout is not just a physician. It's all healthcare workers, it's residents, it's medical students. It, it doesn't start just, you know, after being a physician. And even younger physicians are even more susceptible to some of the older ones. So that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing is let's recognize this is real. Let's recognize that it really has impact on institutions and patients. And let's start looking at it. Let's start measuring it. Let's start acknowledging it. And let's start as quickly as we can, taking steps to make sure we can get our arms around this and hopefully mitigate it, make it go away. I would love to see physicians and peers back to practicing medicine for the reasons they went into it, taking care of patients. So the more we can take away those barriers that cause burnout and ultimately get in the way of patient care, I think the better society and individuals and hospitals and systems and physicians will be. I do want to ask this question. Generally speaking, of course, we can't comment on every single different program, but do you think there's enough going on right now in medical school training that discusses topics like we're talking today? Do they do they get into that? I think they are slowly moving in the right direction, but very slowly and, and not near fast enough. I think medical schools need to spend a lot more time talking about 
you know, non-clinical things, how to be a great physician that comes with emotional intelligence, that comes with leadership. There's a lot of things that go into that. I think they need to understand some side of the business side of medicine. I think I found that make it, it makes it easier for patients to take good care of their patients if they understand how things work in healthcare. And to your question directly, I think they need to focus on helping physicians find the joy in medicine, helping them stay engaged in healthcare, helping them build that personal resiliency and helping them lead some of the changes that will lead to corporate resiliency and society view of healthcare resiliency. We need to be breeding these future leaders starting at medical school. So I think while they're just starting to, to do some of those things and we've been involved in some of those programs and um, they're highly rewarding both to teach and both to, to see that the, the med students, the residents learning all this new information, which will actually make them better physicians and happier physicians. So I think it's a huge opportunity that we're only touching the surface of. I think today's discussion has been outstanding and you've covered a lot, but if, if there's anything else that you think would be beneficial to our listeners to let us know about before we wrap up, please feel free to let us know. No, I think I've covered most. And again, I, I appreciate the opportunity and, and, and welcome any questions or comments. Dr. George Mazel has been our guest today on Healthcare Experience Matters. He is a physician coach and speaker with the Healthcare Experience Foundation, and as well as an author and board-certified internist and geriatrician. Thanks again, Dr. Mazel, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. To learn more, please visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.